Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, signs to watch for and steps to take if you think a loved one has Alzheimer's, a Minnesota tourism update, and Gopher softball coach Piper Ritter. But first... Last week's fatal shooting of 22-year-old Amir Locke by Minneapolis police was front and center this week at the state capitol. MNN's Bill Werner has a recap for us. Scott, top Democrats in the Minnesota House this week rolled out the framework of a bill to ban no-knock police warrants in Minnesota, except in very limited circumstances, promising hearings on that bill in short order. Among those in support, Amir's aunt, Nika Gray just standing as a united front for all of our family, um, just wanting to um, make sure that there isn't another Amir, you know, that, you know, another family doesn't have to go through what our family is going through right now. Amir's cousin, Nika Constantino, echoed. We say this all the time, that it's not, you know, one single bullet, one single person. It's its a system of injustice. House Democratic Majority Leader Ryan Winkler said it's up to leaders to heed the call. We cannot do that without the attitude of cooperation and good faith from both political parties. That's what we need in this moment. We need everyone to bring their best. Senate Republican Majority Leader Jeremy Miller said in a statement, quote, as more information about no-knock warrants comes to light, feedback from the community and from law enforcement will be an integral part of this conversation conversation. He goes on to say it is imperative to have proper policies in place to protect the public and law enforcement. Authorities in Miller's hometown of Winona arrested the person named in the warrant that led to Amir Locke's death, which Miller said is a very real reminder the men and women of law enforcement have a dangerous and incredibly important job. Democratic Representative Cedric Frazier from New Hope says, We have one party that has listened to community members and advocates and brought legislation that will provide for accountability and reform and prevent deaths. Yet at each turn, every accountability or reform bill has been watered down or outright blocked by our GOP colleagues. Maple Grove Senator Warren Limmer, Senate Republican's point person on the crime issue, said he is not inclined to support banning all no-knock warrants because he says police at times have to use extreme measures to make an arrest or the public would be in danger. But some Republican candidates for governor said they would support a ban on no-knock warrants. First Lady Jill Biden at the University of Minnesota this week talking about child care and the American Rescue Plan. The challenges families face didn't just start with COVID-19, and we need fundamental changes if we hope to build back better than before. Mom and college student Shawnice Walls told the First Lady about her pandemic challenges. The biggest challenge was not having a certainty that I would have a provider thinking about random caregivers or babysitters. How was I even going to afford the rates for a random babysitter? Minnesota is receiving over $520 million in American Rescue money for child care, and the First Lady told Governor Tim Walz. Child care is not only critical to families, it's critical to businesses and our economy. And Joe and I are so grateful for your leadership. Minnesota Republican Party Chairman David Hand said it's good the First Lady came to Minnesota, but he called it an attempt to distract voters from issues that are really important. This is a crime wave. It's not about policing, as the Democrats say. It's about crime. And the Democrats have just completely dropped the ball on that issue. 
Chair Han says the economy is struggling and inflation is out of control, while... Governor Walz, the Democrats adopting to, uh, I assume, by votes, by handing out checks or this uh, unprecedented uh, spending spree they're on. Also this week, COVID bonuses for Minnesota's frontline workers, which have been stalled at the state capitol since last summer, got further tangled up in political horse trading. Please bear with me while I try to explain. What happened is Democrats tried to break that deadlock over worker COVID bonuses by offering Republicans something they want. No additional taxes on businesses. This is an issue because a record number of claims during the pandemic depleted the state's unemployment insurance trust fund. And Senate Republicans say unless that is replenished, businesses will face tax increases. An argument that Democratic Representative Gene Pulowski from Winona agrees with. This has to be paid back or our businesses get a tax increase. We have not recovered from the pandemic, but we're making huge Strides. This week, a Minnesota Senate committee unanimously passed and sent to the floor a bill that would allocate $2.7 billion to repay the federal government plus replenish the Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund. The Walls administration supports it. Employment and Economic Development Commissioner Steve Grove. Express our enthusiasm and support for uh, this package. We think it's critical. We thank the Senate for moving quickly on this. House Democrats saw an opportunity here, basically making an offer. They would approve a billion dollars for the Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund if Senate Republicans approve a billion dollars for frontline worker COVID bonuses. That's four times what the legislature approved last summer, which would allow a $1,500 payment to all workers that Democrats argue are essential. That amounts to about 667,000 Minnesotans. Republican Senator Eric Pratt responded Democrats could have approved those bonuses last fall with the $250 million already approved by the legislature. It got held up, and I hope there's not an appetite by House leadership to hold this up. This is way too important. Pratt is talking about replenishing the unemployment insurance fund. Democratic Representative Cedric Frazier from New Hope says, Whatever we do, we have to make sure that we're honoring our workers. Uh, we can, we cannot put the sole focus and, and take care of our business. But Red Wing Republican Barb Haley says Democrats $1 billion to replenish the unemployment insurance fund. It's only about a third of what's necessary. This bill solves only part of the problem. The bill doesn't address returning the fund to solvency. Scott, some frontline workers are wondering if they will ever receive those bonuses. We will have to wait and see. Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Alzheimer's disease often hides in plain sight. I recently spoke with Jenna Fink, she's with the Alzheimer's Association, Minnesota, North Dakota chapter, about what to look for when it comes to signs of Alzheimer's disease and what steps you can take to help yourself or loved ones. It's important to first kind of assess the situation by considering what changes in memory, thinking, behavior, mood um, may have you have seen in that person? Um, you know, what is that person doing or potentially not doing that is out of the ordinary um, or out of kind of their norm? And, and considering those things and writing those down, taking a look at the 10 warning signs to compare um, what things may be, you know, things to be concerned about, things to be maybe more aware of. Additionally, really thinking to what else is going on. Um, memory concerns and mood and behavior concerns um, obviously can be affected by many different things, from changes to our everyday life to um, changes in medication and that. So it's really important to think about what else might be going on if there's health or lifestyle changes that may be a factor to some of these changes that you're seeing in someone as well. And then... Furthermore, learning about those signs of, of Alzheimer's and dementia. I mentioned the 10 warning signs. So really checking those out to, um, to like I said, kind of write down or circle um, maybe some of the warning signs that you're seeing uh, in that person or seeing in yourself even to then help aid the conversation with the doctor. And, and it's really important to Start that conversation early with a doctor if you are noticing concerns. Um, the benefits of early diagnosis are, are to the thousands. It's important to, to uh, you know, get that diagnosis early so that that person can be a part of their planning um, for the future and be, you know, knowing what's, what's going to be happening next as far as educating themselves as well as yourself um, potentially as that support to that person. Um, and then just considering, has anything else, uh, you know, been, been a change in that person's life? Are other, are other people, you know, noticing these concerns too? Um, are other family bringing it up? Or are other people within that friend network, um, you know, noticing these concerns as well? So kind of doing that assessment with others that are close to that person to identify if this is something that others are seeing. Uh, great information, Jenna. You mentioned the, the 10 sort of warning signs. I'm wondering, is mm -hmm. there, because I'm sure anybody listening to this that, that even has a, a question in their mind, if it's possible that they're seeing the warning signs, is going to want to know what those are. So can we just kind of briefly go through what, what people should be looking for? Yeah, definitely. So some of those 10 warning signs are going to be, um, you know, I think the most typical one is that change in, um, in someone's memory, but that's not the only one. Um, certainly changes in mood and behavior, someone becoming more irritable more frequently, um, changes in, in social uh, activity too, maybe isolating themselves more, uh, changes in communication, you know, not being able to find the, the right word when normally someone is is very able to hold a conversation and communicate without any problem, but not being able to find the right word regularly, um, you know, using uh, odd kind of uh, terminology for things. So um, calling a pen the, the writing stick instead of calling it a pen. Um, 
as well as really trouble tracking a conversation too. Um, so those can be some of the warning signs. And to, to really find a list of the entire warning signs, you can either call our 24-7 helpline, which is 1-800-272-3900, or you can visit our website at alz.org slash 10 signs. And obviously when we're talking about things like memory loss or, or not remembering the the sort of descriptions or names for certain specific words, uh, mm-hmm. there can sort of be a fine line between just regular memory loss with age and, and, and Alzheimer's. Um, you know, how can somebody be extra careful about not overstepping a line when they're when they're trying to discern something like this for say their parents yeah well that's a really great great question and our 10 warning signs does kind of lay out um what is normal versus abnormal aging and and you know kind of giving examples and we also have free education um on our website as well that people can access uh, to to talk about specifically the 10 warning signs and again provide that those examples of what is normal versus abnormal aging but um, you know it is important to to think about you know what what am I noticing and again those those previous steps um, that I had mentioned as far as what else is going on what changes am I seeing is anyone else noticing those changes but then furthermore you know taking action to have the conversation with that person um, about you know, what's going on and, and what you're noticing. You know, it can be very tricky, especially when we're talking about the potential of, of uh, somebody becoming irritable or their behavior changing to bring up a topic like this with a loved mm-hmm. one. What do you recommend for taking those first steps? Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is this is not a conversation that is usually giving everyone the warm fuzzies. And so it it is important to think ahead, um, you know, so kind of putting yourself in in the position of having the conversation and and thinking ahead about how you want it to go. What what do you think that that person is going to respond best to? So some of those considerations, um, you know, in 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 thinking about that would be consider who should have the conversation to discuss the concerns. Um, it may not be the, the you know, um, oldest child. It may not be the spouse. It may not be the, you know, any, anyone related to that person. It could be um, a, a family friend, a trusted, um, you know, professional, um, you know, someone who, who knows that person well, um, but, but really thinking who is going to be that person um, that can most effectively as well as, as most empathetically and supportively kind of uh, start the conversation with that person. Um, and making sure to speak one-on-one uh, with that individual so that they don't feel threatened by a group. Um, sometimes, you know, families will think going in all together and, and sitting down and talking with that person um, is the best approach. But um, dependent on the person, it's usually better to do it one-on-one so that person doesn't feel threatened. Thank you so much to my guest, Jenna Fink, with the Alzheimer's Association, Minnesota, North Dakota chapter. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Explore Minnesota's annual tourism conference is less than a month away. This year, hundreds of participants will gather in person and virtually. Tasha Radel has more. Joining me today is Explore Minnesota Tourism Director Lauren Bennett-McGinty. Lauren, before we dive into details surrounding the upcoming tourism conference, 
I wanted to reflect a little on the past couple of years. I know the tourism industry has suffered greatly throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. How are we doing heading deeper into the new year? Great question. So obviously, you know, the tourism industry has been one of the hardest hit industries during the pandemic. And um, with the most recent numbers that we've seen, we are looking at a nearly $12 billion loss since January of 2020, when historically um, the state tourism industry has made about $16.6 billion. So you can see kind of how dramatic it's been. Um, As we enter into March and um, kind of get into the full upswing of 2022, we do expect to see some growth. You know, we're already starting to see that in various parts of the state. Greater Minnesota has had some really good um, last couple of months, you know, last summer leading into now. And we do expect that with the Omicron variant um, having hit its peak and sort of coming down at this point, that hopefully we'll start to see travel go back up. But uh, we don't expect to see a full recovery until late 2023 or early 2024. As we enter into the third year of the COVID-19 pandemic, what are some common themes you continue to see and hear from those within the tourism industry? Now, I know it's a huge industry that crosses a number of sectors all the way from leisure to hospitality. Right. So we definitely are seeing an increase in leisure travel Um, Overall, I mean, you know, in relation to the pandemic, of course, but auto travel is big. So we're seeing a lot of um, cabins and resorts getting some decent numbers. And we're also seeing a good amount of outdoor recreation. And that just continues to be super strong as we enter this year. People wanting to get outside regardless of what season it is, just kind of needing to get some fresh air. Um, But we, you know, we're seeing some large group events come back, certainly um, in the Twin Cities area. We're really excited. We've got tons of stuff coming up this spring and summer. Um, One of the bigger ones that we're looking forward to this spring is the 2022 Women's NCAA Final Four. And then, of course, we're going to have the um, MLS All-Star Game at Allianz Field, 3M Open. So we've got tons of stuff going on. And Mall of America is turning 30 this year, which is also really exciting. Lauren, the tourism industry supports around 260,000 jobs across the state. How are staffing levels? So right now, certainly our workforce shortage, um, unfortunately, still exists. But, you know, in talking with folks in the industry, we are starting to see some of that pick up and and more jobs getting filled. Um, I think certainly... Deed would have more specifics on that, but right now we're um, we're starting to see the uptick, and we're starting to see uh, people kind of getting ready for summer and and trying to map out what that looks like for their staff. Now let's switch gears a little bit. I'm visiting today with Explore Minnesota Tourism Director Lauren Bennett McGinty. Well, Lauren, I know the annual tourism conference is coming up March first. Can you share some details of the event? Absolutely. So it will be a hybrid one-day event this year, which is a little different than we've done when we were able to do it all in person. Um, But we're really excited about the opportunity. We anticipate hundreds of attendees online and about 250 in person. Um, And COVID-19 protocols will be in place. We've uh, set up a lot of information for folks to follow to get themselves in the door safely. Now, you mentioned this year's event is going to be hybrid, both in person and online virtually. Was there a conference last year during the height of the pandemic? 
There was. It was all online last year, um, and that is all on our website. But um, we're really excited to be able to offer both options this year. Thanks again to my guest, Explore Minnesota Tourism Director Lauren Bennett McGinty. For a great one-stop spot to explore Minnesota and plan your next outing, head to exploreminnesota.com. That's exploreminnesota.com. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, tail-wagging, backyard-hanging, and, of course, companionship. And what breed would you say Satchmo is? I'd have to go with maybe a lavish terrier-hound, chihuahua-looking kind of mix. Tremendous dog. I'd also like to point out Satchmo's coloring, a white, gray, brown, black brindle, simply marvelous. You know, it's such a treat to watch a dog like this. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive. And now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, the happy dance, so common with this group. And finally, the loving face lick. It's great how he just gets in there and, well, licks. Fantastic. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The University of Minnesota softball team is once again one of the teams picked to contend for the Big Ten Conference Championship, and they're opening the season this weekend at a tournament in Orlando, Florida. Before the team left for the Sunshine State, MN Sports Director Mike Grimm caught up with second-year head coach Piper Ritter to talk about the season. We're going to have a full season. We're going to be able to compete heavy in the preseason and, you know, and push ourselves to be ready for Big Tens and, and postseason. I'm excited about it. I think that we have have a tough schedule, but our girls, you know, they want nothing but tough. And so we're excited to kind of see what we have, you know, to get out there and play some ball and, you know, come back a little bit better and do it again on the weekend, right? That's it, what it's all about. Indeed. And that is one of the other things in terms of a tough schedule. That has really been the case for a number of years now with you guys in terms of, of trying to schedule tough particularly in the spring uh, as you get closer to the summer although you know I suppose we technically never reach the summer but um, in, in terms of getting into the Big Ten it gets you prepared right when you're when you're facing a really good non-conference slate yes yes you know I think that part of you know maybe something that we might have lacked last year a little bit was a little bit of preseason and playing you know outside the Big Ten and being able to play a couple different teams although it was very challenging playing the same team four times at the end um, you definitely know a team after four times of playing them, their pitchers, their catchers, everything. But, you know, you do miss a little bit of that competitive nature and coming back and beating a different team and finding a different way to win, that type of thing. So that's what preseason's all about. You had a unique year last year in the terms of the roster structure as well with the, with all those super seniors that had been such a valuable part of the uh, of the process uh, throughout their careers here to, to, to make Minnesota a prominent team. Um, now, of course, they, they have moved on and there's holes to fill. Uh, how do you fill some of those holes? As, uh, as you, I mean, you had players uh, play five and six years in, in some cases. You know, I think that's part of collegiate athletics and that's what makes you know that's kind of what makes it special in the fact of you know you get the four maybe five years to compete and be the best that you can be but it's all about kind of getting the new blood in there and getting new people in there and allowing them to have a chance to compete so 
that's, I think that's the beauty of our, our game is teaching someone as much as you can teach them in four to five years. And then, you know, being able to teach some more uh, young, young females, the same stuff. So I love it. I love the team dynamics, how they change every year. And I love the fact that there's always someone that steps up and finds another way to win and compete and make your team great. Um, of course, Amber Pfizer will will mention her because she had such a terrific career um, and was such a valuable piece. And and she had another good year last year. But there were others behind her who were who were pitching well. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what fans can expect to see in the circle this year from the Maroon and Gold. You know, we're going to be young, that's for sure. Um, you know, we have Autumn Peace coming back, and she did a great job for us last year. And she'll obviously take the circle again. And then we'll have some new faces in there. And I think the same with our infield. You're going to see some new faces on the infield and it's just about getting ready and getting you know them getting their feet wet of competing and learning how to win and so it will be a little different but I think every year we've done that you know I've always graduated a very good senior just for some other people to come in and 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 replace not replace them but you know continue the legacy in a different way in their own footsteps yeah and I was looking at the stats because I remembered it being you know obviously a good pitching team but Autumn Pease ended up actually with a better ERA she had the best ERA amongst the starters last year so you have to be happy with with having her back and what she can maybe provide for you guys yes you know i think she's gotten a little bit better every year and that's that's part of it is just uh, making yourself a little bit better it doesn't mean necessarily adding pitches maybe it's a little bit more mentally making yourself better or finding a way to compete on the mound a little differently now um i have to ask you too about natalie den hartog she led the big 10 in home runs last year with 15 and obviously has had a great career as well um and now she's moved into that role where the those super seniors it probably helped bring her along long she's now i suppose in that leadership kind of a role helping uh the young people as uh, they did for her when she was young right yeah you know i think that you know i think every year you learn how to grow and you know she's one of the best in the minnesota in minnesota to be honest and um she's had a fantastic career here at minnesota and i think that um there's a lot of heart and, and pride the fact that she does so well and she is from minnesota and she's teaching all everyone how to you know be great out right there and so we're 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 excited for her and she's come a long way in the outfield and you know I think you're going to see great things from her in the outfield. Yeah, she has some natural athleticism, right? I mean, a pretty good arm and um and she can she you know, it's a matter of just getting uh, comfortable out there, I would assume. Yes, yes, she's she's done well. You know, I think she came in as an infielder utility player and she made herself known in center field and she's she's a heck of a center fielder. Yeah. Her dad uh is of course the football coach at Hopkins. He played center field. Uh I played left field. We were college baseball teammates at Lutheran oh, College. I didn't know that. Day. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> it, I always keep a special eye on, on Natalie Denhartog cuz her dad and I were teammates. He was a couple years older, but he had a good arm. He could run as well. He played football as well. He was a multi-sport athlete uh, at the Division three levels. So it's fun to watch. You know, it, it means we're getting old, of course, but it's fun to watch, uh, you know, uh, people that, that you like uh, have success. What's she mean to the lineup, too? I mean, just to have, you know, that kind of a, a presence in the middle of the batting order has to has to be comforting each time you send the lineup card to the umpire. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Her stick can change the ball game, and you know, you always want one one or two of those in the lineup. But I think what she brings is confidence. I mean, there is no pitcher that she's ever feared, or no situation that she's like, I'm not going to try to go into that. And regardless if you're hitting, you know, a buck eighty or you're hitting five hundred, you want those people up to bat all the time. You know, be the fact that they're fearless and you know they don't care what the situation is, they're going to go at it full steam. So that's Golden Gopher softball coach Piper Ritter with MNN Sports Director Mike. Grim. 
That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station. <laughs>